Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. James chapter 4 and verse 2. If you're there, say amen. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You have not, because you ask not. You have not, because you ask not. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity to be here in your house together. And I thank you for this message that I believe you stirred in my heart. I believe that you spoke this to me, that you gave this to me. And I'm asking you today that you would speak it to all of us. And Father, that we would leave here transformed and full of faith closer to you than ever before. Help me. Help me to preach today. Help me to say what your heart is saying to the heart of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share this message with you today called The Power of Prayer, or we might call it Nobody's asking God. Nobody's asking God. And I want to lay a little foundation. I want to preach a little mini sermon before I get to the sermon. I want to lay a foundation about prayer, effective praying, about answered prayer, before I jump into what I feel like I'm supposed to charge us with today. There are three main elements of prayer that have everything to do with why we don't see more answered prayer. There are three big blocks, three big hindrances, three ingredients, three parts that if we understood these things, I think it would dynamically transform our prayer life. So we want to look at these three things before we jump into what God is asking us to pray about. And the first place that I want to go is 1 John chapter 5 in verse 14. 1 John 5 in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. There is a really, really important part of this verse that unlocks the rest of it. Does anybody know what it is? It's four words. 
Say it again. According to his will. We have confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us, that he hears us. How many of us are willing to admit that many, many things that we have asked for, they were not actually what was best? They were... They were us asking for a Band-Aid for what really needed a surgery. Usually, we ask God for feelings instead of asking God for solutions. Many times, we don't really want to change the thing that's causing unhappiness We just want God to slap us with some happiness. We want God to make us feel better while we keep doing whatever we want to do. And God says, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in adding happiness to chaos. I'm not interested in adding peace to a confused... Here come my voice. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not interested in adding peace to your confusing mess. I'm not interested in making you feel better while you're still wrong. I don't want to give you happiness. I want to give you the right way and let it produce joy. I want to correct you and get you behaving according to principles of victory and let that produce peace. Don't ask God for happiness. Ask him for the change that will bring joy. Don't ask God to give you peace. Ask God to help you walk in his way, and there's already peace. You understand the difference in asking for the feeling and asking for the thing? Start asking for the thing. And not the, the thing already produces the feeling. We have this confidence in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Why are we not getting the stuff we're asking for? Because we're asking for the wrong stuff. Have your children ever asked you for anything that you knew wouldn't be good for them? Have they begged you? Have they tried to explain to you why why they need this thing in their life? Have they tried to convince you why this would be a good thing? And it's not that you don't want them to have the happiness that they think the thing will bring them. It's that you know that that thing doesn't bring the happiness. And you know that that thing actually brings hurt. But you, being so much older than they are, you having been through it, you having a brain that's far more developed than theirs, 
You don't even have the capacity to explain to them why you can't give them what they're asking for because they don't have the capacity to receive it yet. God, (laughs) come on, somebody. You, are you picking up what I'm putting down? My mom told me God answers every prayer, and sometimes the answer is no. So many things that you ask for, you say, why isn't God doing this? God's not doing this because he loves you. Well, why doesn't he just help me to understand? He did try to help you understand, but you're still too stupid. Like what Sydney called Heidi this morning. You're not there yet. I warned my children a few years ago. You know, Moriah, uh, she'll be 15 in, in May, right? Deacon turned 11 in January. And I told my kids a couple years ago, I said, I need, to, I need to sit down and talk to you. I said, I need to tell you something. So we sat down. I said, I've got to explain something to you. I said, you, you two kids, I said, you are exceptionally smart. I said, you're really, really smart. I said, you're very, very creative. I said, you're very artistic. I said, you're good at a lot of things. I said, you're even advanced at some things. I said, but I have to let you in on something. I said, in a few short years, I said, you're actually going to turn dumb. I said, you're going to become real stupid. I said, and you won't be able to help it. I said, because your body's going to start changing and it's going to mess with your brain. I said, and your feelings will be a lot louder than what you know is right. I said, so I'm sorry this is going to happen to you. I said, there's nothing we can do to stop it. I said, you're going to turn dumb. I said, and it's probably going to last like five to ten years. I said, so when that happens, I said, most people don't take the time to tell their kids ahead of time how dumb they'll be. I said, so they don't know. I said, not only are they dumb, but it's a, it's a shock because nobody told them they'd be dumb. I said, so I'm, I'm warning you. I'm letting you know this. Ahead of time, I said, and it's important, I said, that when you go stupid, that you remember to trust me because I will know what you don't know. I'm done being stupid. I already did it. Come on, somebody. God, you're not giving me the thing I'm asking for, and you're not explaining it to me. He said, I'm, I'm sorry, you're, you're still dumb. You're, still, you're not there yet. I can't fit this in there. Your, your, your vision's still too narrow. Your perception is still too crunched. Am I helping anybody today? If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then whatever we're asking, we know we have the petition. We can know that we can have everything we ask for in prayer if we're asking for the right stuff. If we're asking for, you remember what Jesus said? Jesus understood this principle. Jesus said, 
Father, if there's any way, that's a good way to start a prayer, if there's any way. I understand there might not be a way. I understand you see what I can't see. I understand that I'm praying out of my feelings, but you're answering out of the big picture. Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, your will be done, not my will be done. That's the kind of prayer. That God, when we start asking for God's stuff, when we start asking for God's stuff, God's way, and so that is the that is the first element of the three elements. That's the first of the ingredients. These are what we have to remember in everything that we pray. Number one, we have to we have to remember His will. His will. Now go with me to James four and three. You ask. And receive not because you ask amiss. You ask the wrong way. Now, first, we were talking about asking for the wrong thing. But now we're talking about asking the wrong way. Do you know you can ask for the right thing the wrong way? That you may consume it upon your lusts. Selfish motives. Ill motives, wrong purposes. You can ask for the right thing for the wrong reason. Even though it's the right thing, you ain't ready. You're not ready for the right thing because you'll do the wrong thing with it. How many of you realize how many people in ministry, they... They have failed in ministry. They have had huge failure. They have messed stuff up because while they were operating in their gift, they were not building relationship. Do you know a gift to preach is a gift? This doesn't mean I have anything special that you don't have. I have a gift to stand up here and say it, but I can never let my gift trick me into not spending time with Jesus. There are plenty of people operating in their gift, and the anointing will make anybody look good. The anointing makes people look like they've got it all together, but your gift is separate from your relationship. Your gift is just a gift. It's just a gift. You can never be tricked into letting your gift get in the way of your relationship. I have to have two Bible study times, one for you and one for me. Used to, if I was reading the Bible and I got a sermon, I thought I was done. But now I've realized I had to spend time with Jesus. It's not about saying, do I have a message for Sunday? I got to have enough Jesus for my week. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. We have to ask for the right thing, but we have to ask for the right reason. You know, there is nothing wrong with my kids having a car to drive, but I wouldn't give one to Deacon right now. (laughs) Might be a good thing. There wouldn't be anything wrong with the car. There'd be a whole lot wrong with him driving it at 11. Although when my grandpa was 13, he, uh, he won a car in a contest, saving bottle caps. He won a car, but he was only 13, 
And so he went to the DMV and said, I need to get a driver's license. They said, how old are you? He said, I'm 16. They said, sign here. <laughs> you can get by with that then. Worked a little bit differently. All right. So the second part, the first part is his will. The second part is your motive. Is your motive. You might be asking God for a good thing, saying, God, why won't you give this to me? He said, because you still want it for the wrong reason. You're going to use it for your own glory and not for mine. So, no, I will not throw you the keys right now. You will kill yourself with that good thing. You will build yourself up on the praises of men instead of on the rock of your salvation. In the same way that men will lift you up, they'll also leave you. And so if your foundation and your strength is not me, if you have not been promoted on the word of God and on maturity and on experience, when the people leave, you'll come crashing to the ground. No, I will not give that to you right now. I love you too much then to kill you. His will and your motive. And those two together really lead into the next one, Habakkuk 2 and 3, and also Ecclesiastes. By the way, it's not Ecclesiastics. I got all these church pet peeves. It's Ecclesiastes, not Ecclesiastics. There's no IC in there. It, it sounds like an, an exercise you do. I got to go to my Ecclesiastics class, you know. <laughs> Yeah, working out like Jesus. <laughs> Habakkuk 2 and 3. For the vision is for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. It will come on time. It'll come on time. God says, my stuff, the right stuff, also has a right time. I got a right thing for the right person with the right reason, and I'll do it at the right time. We're probably learning a lot about unanswered prayer right now. His will, our motive, his timing. That is good. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, to everything, there's a season, and there is a time for every purpose under heaven. God can't give you the right thing at the wrong time. It wouldn't work, and then it would be in vain, and then it would be lost. The ingredients have to be in place. The people have to be in place. The right folks have to be in on the conversation or the information will be no good. God can't hand out the information if the right people aren't in the room to hear it. That's why I'd help everybody come to church. So today, I mean, this is, this is a quick little part, but today I just want to give you those three elements about effective praying, victorious praying, successful praying, answered prayer. God's will, your reason, his timing. You got a little fill in the blank there if you didn't see it. You can write those down, and then when you go home, you won't have to say, oh, what was it? Because you will have already written it down. God's will, your reason or your motive, and his timing. 
All right, we're ready to preach the, the real sermon. Those three elements, those three factors, those ingredients, it is on this foundation that I bring to you this message. We are going to know. This is so important. We are going to know that everything I share today assumes that you are on board with his will, right motives, and his timing. If you take anything that I say after this part and try to use it without it fitting his will, right motives, and his timing, then, then you stole it and you're using it wrong. I'm only saying all of that to prepare the right perspective with which to look at the rest of this message that I'm going to bring. Got it? All right. So I'm just going to preach this thing, and I'm not going to go back to this. And we're going to assume everybody wants his will, his way, his timing. Amen. That you want the same thing that God wants more than you want your own way, that you want it for God's purpose and not your own, that you trust God enough to know that there's a reason for the when that he does what he does and that you will be patient as you stand on the promises. Now, while that's the foundation, it's not the main theme of the message. The theme of what I want to talk about today is that there are a whole lot of things Oh, God, help me. Help me that as I say this, that it carries the weight with which you put it in my heart. I hope, oh, I'm so hungry that you will hear this the way it's in my heart, the way God gave it to me. There's a whole lot that God is wanting to do right now, but nobody's asking him. There are all kinds of things that God is wanting to accomplish in your life and in your family and in the United States of America, and nobody's asking him. Grab your neighbor. Shake him. Tell him. Nobody's asking him. <laughs> Come on. Nobody's asking him. Are you, are you ready to shout today? You ready to help me preach? Nobody's asking him. Nobody's asking God. Our text that we had, James 4 and 2, you lust and have not, you desire. That word lust there, it, it take your mind into something else. It means you want something, but you still don't have it. You kill and desire to have. That means you go around getting things by uh, questionable means. And you can't obtain. You fight and you war. I mean, you fight to get it, and you still don't have it. And then he sums it up this way. The reason you have not is because you ask not. He said you desire and you don't have it. You kill for it and you don't have it. You war for it and you don't have it. He said, but here's the reason you don't have it. While you were craving, everybody said, well, if you just want it bad enough. Well, wanting it bad enough doesn't bring anybody anything. The little red hen wanted some bread. 
but he didn't help. So he didn't get any bread. So he says, you crave it and you don't have it. So that wasn't the way. You kill for it and you don't have it. So that wasn't the way. You fight for it and you don't have it. So that one, he said, I'll tell you what the way is. Ask. Ask for it. And that word ask, man, we could take a lot of time because it's talking about faith. It's talking about knowing the way of God, and that's what you're going at. He says, you have not because you ask not. The reason you don't have is because you're not asking. I think there are a whole lot of people talking about a whole lot of things, but they're not praying about them. Or they pray once casually. I don't think they're taking a notebook and writing down, God, these are the things that I'm praying about. This is what I'm seeking you for. I'm going to lay my hands on it today, and tomorrow I'm going to lay my hands on it again. And next month I'll still be laying my hands on it. I'm going to lay this notebook before you. I'm going to take communion. I'm going to let cracker crumbs fall out of my mouth and grape juice drip onto the paper. I'm going to slather it with oil. I'm going to confess your promises. I'm going to ask my prayer group to agree with me. I'm going to quote the Psalms, and I'm going to keep asking for these things on this paper until I can mark them off and say, glory to God. He did it, and this is the day. This is when I started praying. This is when I finished, and God is faithful. Nobody's asking him. Nobody's praying. Are you asking God if you put your petitions before him? God, thank you for my voice. And that I didn't knock over the microphone. <laughs> you have not because you ask not. Well, I asked him. Oh, did you? Are you really asking? I mean, are you really asking? Are you even asking him the way your kids ask you? Because they won't shut up. But Moriah, I don't care when the, da the dance is. The dress is too short. No. The dress is too No. Come on, somebody. You remember how you used to nag your parents? And now you act like you don't know how to ask God for anything. Are you really asking? Years ago, I was discussing with my grandfather some miracles that we had not seen. Some things that we had asked for, we didn't see them. We were just saying, like, what's the deal? And then... My grandfather said, I can't remember which one of us said it. I think Grandpa said it. He said, we may not be seeing all of those miracles we want. He said, but we're seeing a lot more miracles than the people that aren't asking for any. This, this is what we do. This is, our whole, this is our whole mind frame. We'll scroll through Facebook. We will scroll past a hundred compliments that people gave us and find one critic. 
and you're going to spend your whole night thinking about one fool that doesn't even know you, some jealous unbeliever that doesn't even matter rather than all this. And you do the same thing with God. You will scroll through every answered prayer. You will scroll through every testimony. You will walk right past not remembering that you were sick and now you're well, that you couldn't pay your bills and now you got a car. You'll forget everything you did do and you'll look at that one thing and say, I guess God don't answer prayer. You better start asking. You better start asking for some stuff. You better start praising him for what he's done, giving him glory that you're not six foot under, that you're still here. You've looked away from everything that God has done, the impossible. You remember, don't you, when your back was against a wall, when you were between a rock and a hard place, and you said, God, if you don't get me out of here, I won't get out. And somehow, friend, today you're sitting here in the River Worship Center, and you are out. Did you forget? Did you forget when God did the impossible? Did you forget when God turned it around? Did you forget when he caused you to walk on water that shouldn't even been able to hold you up? That situation couldn't have held you, but you stepped out anyway, and somehow the word held you up every step, and you're still here. Did you forget? Did you forget when he healed the one? That you thought was leaving. Did you forget when the money showed up just in time? Not a moment early. You're not missing any meals. You still got a roof over your head. You still drove some here this morning. Did you forget? Now you're not coming around asking him for anything. And now you're not asking, acting like God doesn't answer prayer. God answers prayer. Our foundation today may give some insight into the ones that we haven't seen. But more importantly today is that many of us are using the situations we don't understand as an excuse to not ask for all the things that we're supposed to be bringing before the throne room of God. I'm telling you today, if you've got a promise in the cross, if there's a situation in your life that Jesus shed his blood for you, grab a hold of the horns of the altar, start shaking heaven, and make the prayer bells ring. Know that the heavens are not shut up. Know that they are not brass. Know that your prayers are not bouncing off the ceiling. But he said, not one word will return void. He said in Isaiah, he said, come and sit down with me. Let's reason together. Do you know God said that to you? He said, come and sit down. Let us, let us read. God says, pull, uh, pull up a chair at the table and sit down with me and let's hash this thing out. And God said, remind me of my promises. Remind him of his promises. Doesn't he know his promises? Haven't you ever been asked, somebody, somebody gave you a compliment. You said, what'd you say? And he said, I, I said, you're, you're really nice and, and you look nice today. I'm sorry, what did you say? 
I said that you look really, what did you say? I just want to hear you say it. God says, sit down, let's reason together. God, why, you, you know everything. Come and remind me of my promises. God, why do, God says, I just want to hear you say it. Because the truth of the matter is, I love you so much, I'm more interested in spending time with you. The answer is no big deal to me. I'm trying to use anything I can to meet with the ones that I loved enough to create in the first place. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Jesus said, ask and keep on asking. And it'll be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you'll find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened. For everyone who keeps on asking receives. He who keeps on seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, it will be opened. It will be opened. This is the Bible, folks. This is not Mother Goose. This is not Aesop's fables. This is the Bible. This is, this is red letter. Jesus said, now you remember the foundation. Jesus said, if you keep asking for that, I'm going to give it to you. He said, you keep seeking for that, you'll find it. You keep knocking, I'll open that door. My will, my way, my time. But don't stop. Trust me enough, don't I have a decent track record? Isn't my, isn't my resume good enough for you? Don't my qualifications stand up? Keep asking. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 6, verse 24, Until now you have not asked the Father for anything in my name. Because he was with them. So they weren't really talking. They didn't understand a relationship with the Father so much. They were in this transition around the time of the cross before everything shifted from Old Covenant, New Covenant, from law to grace, from uh, works of our righteousness to his righteousness. He said, until now, he said, you've not asked the Father for anything in my name, but now, but now, ask and keep on asking. People, Jesus said, ask and keep on asking, and you will receive, so that your joy may be full and complete. See, life will always come with certain obstacles, but there are many things that we have been putting up with that Christians are not supposed to put up with. We have become so used to the enemy running the whole world that we have folded our hands and given up on asking God for help. The virus just keeps going, so finally we quit asking. Biden's still in office? Sorry. So we eventually just... So we eventually just say, uh, whatever. John Osteen said, if there was a rattlesnake 
in your bed, you would not say, oh, well, there's a rattlesnake in my bed. I guess I'll just deal with it. My friends, if there was a rattlesnake in your bed, you would do anything that you, you would call whoever you had to call. You would do whatever you had to do to make sure there was no more rattlesnake in your bed. Can I tell you, there is a rattlesnake in your life, and it is time to get him out of there. Mark 16 and 18 said, they shall take up serpents. These signs shall follow them which believe. Do you believe this morning? These signs shall follow them which believe. In my name, they'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. My Bible said I have the power to take up these serpents that enter my life by the name of Jesus. Talking about Brother Osteen. Years ago, he said a demon spirit came into his office. And he recognized it, and he knew the presence. And he said, oh, God, he said, get the devil out of my office. And God spoke to him and said, you do it. People didn't know a lot about the authority of the believer in, in those days. A lot of believers now don't know much about the authority of the believer. But he told John Osteen, I've given you my name. I've given you my name. Come on, somebody. He has given us his name. In the name of Jesus, devil, get out of my office. Get out of my room. Get out of my mind. Get out of my ministry. Get out of my life. Luke 10 and 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power. Somebody shout power. I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. I give you power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He's given you the power. Use it. Use it. Use the power that God has given you. Doctors will talk you dead. You got to listen to what's on the inside, Sister Bacon. <laughs> Thank God for doctors. But sometimes you've got to listen to the still small voice and say they know what they know, but they don't know what I know. And what I know is not a what, it's a who. I know the resurrection and the life. I know the healing and the healer. I know my Savior. I know the I am. And in the name of Jesus, I will live and not die. I will live and not die to declare the works of the Lord. Two weeks ago, I was reading the Bible. And, you know, I told you I got that Lisa turned me on to this one-year Bible. She got this one-year Bible. You read some every day. So I, I got one, and uh, I, I can't use it right. Because I get too worked up over whatever I'm reading now, and I got to read it for a whole week. I can't read one a day. <laughs> I could do, like, maybe the Bible in 100 years or something. <laughs> See if Zondervan put out one of those, you know. So I'm reading, and then I get stuck, 
And I, I, try, I try to finish my day, but I can't. I'd say, wow, I just got to keep reading that over and over. Which, by the way, if you're reading the Bible like that, you're reading it right. You're, you're not supposed to read for quantity. You're supposed to read for quality. You're supposed to read the Bible slowly. You're supposed to read the Bible out loud. You're supposed to meditate on it. You're supposed to chew on it. You're supposed to think about it. You're supposed to pray about it. You're supposed to discuss it. That's how it's always been, you know, uh, in this part of the world, we don't understand that. But we have, we have a, a Jewish Bible written by Jewish authors, inspired by the God of the Jews. And the way that it was passed down was orally, and it was recited, and it was spoken openly, and you would discuss it and hash it out. You didn't try to race through it because you actually wanted to find out what it said. It wasn't like reading a, a storybook or a novel and you, you're just trying to get to the end. That's not how this book is written. This book is written to create doubts. This book, this book is written to create wrestling and struggling. This book is written to give you more questions than answers. And then answer them. This book is written that you would get in there and you would start to think and spend time with the author. No other book do you get to read with the author. But this one, he'll sit and read it to you. You can say, what? What did you mean? What did you mean when you said that? You didn't mean, did you mean this? They killed babies. You didn't, what, what happened here? That's how you're supposed to read the Bible. So I, I was reading, and one verse stopped me, and I can't get past it. Even, even when I finish my other days, i got to flip back and read it one more time. Is that what it said? And the Holy Ghost just stopped me dead in my tracks, and he won't let me get past it. You see, Sodom and Gomorrah was full of every kind of abomination. People, people say, oh, the world's getting worse by the day. There's never been a time it was so bad as now. You need to go back and read the book. It's been pretty bad. Sodom and Gomorrah was full of every type of abomination. God's children in lots of different places were affected by the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God's people all over the place, God's people begin to pray and ask God to put a stop to what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Which brings us to one of my favorite accounts in the Bible. You remember when Abraham was out in the field and Sarah was in the tent and all of a sudden three men appeared. And Abraham looked up and said, that's the Lord. A lot of people don't know that Jesus visited the earth lots of times before he was born as a baby to the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. And this is one of those times. And Abraham recognized him. It was, it was the Lord and two angels, like his entourage, you know. One of them was carrying his umbrella. <laughs> so it's the, it's the Lord and two angels. And Abraham runs out to meet them and greets them and talks to them. 
And the Lord said, well, actually, we've come down, literally. <laughs> he said, actually, we've come down to see something. He said, we're passing through on our way to Sodom. He said, the cry of my people has come up into my ears. He says, I thought I'd come down and see it myself. And Abraham, Abraham said, uh, well, will you wait for just a little while and have a meal with me? They said, yeah, we got a little time. Abraham goes and has the fatted calf killed, the very best. And he runs into the tent and he tells Sarah. And the Bible says that he prepared this meal of this savory meat and of bread and of fresh butter. Y'all trying to get me to eat smart balance? I'm with Jesus. Real eggs, real butter, real sugar. I don't want the devil's food. <laughs> you think you had farm fresh milk? You should have drank this that Abraham brought to Jesus. This savory meat and fresh bread and salted butter and milk. I added that salted part. I don't know if it was or not, but it sounded so good. And he sat down with them and he served the Lord. And he had dinner with Jesus and two angels. And then after dinner, there's some more things happened between them and Sarah and talking, which we'll hopefully get into in a few weeks. And then after that, they went on down on their journey to see the evils of Sodom and Gomorrah. I wish I had time to talk about it, but I don't. Just have to read you this one verse. This is the one. This is the one that stopped me, and I can't get past it. Genesis 19 and 13. These two angels said this. For we will destroy this place because... Stop reading. Look back up here. We will destroy this place because, now this is important. Everybody say, because. We are getting ready to find out the sole reason that the Lord came down from heaven to personally look and now has told these angels, wipe it all out. This is serious. We're getting ready to find out the reason that happened, and here it is. Because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. These angels said, we are here for one reason, and we are here to destroy this wickedness that is in charge. For one reason, and here's the reason. The people of God began to cry and kept bringing this matter up before the face of the Lord. Because the people of God prayed, 
Because so many of them prayed, because they wouldn't stop, because they kept bringing it before the Lord, even when they didn't see it answered, the Lord himself has come down, and now we are going to destroy the problem. God answered because the people of God prayed. Hope it's doing inside of you what it did inside of me. I hope it's so big you're just not able to shout. When <laughs> Paul was writing it down, bro, that's that's enough right there. You, I see it, and that's beautiful handwriting, Paul. When the people of God unite, when the people of God unite and bring something continually before the face of the Lord, he does something about it. He does something about it. Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 1, he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, there was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. So there's this wicked judge. He doesn't care about God, and he doesn't care about people. He only cares about power. He's just sitting in, in his judge's seat and collecting a paycheck. He didn't care about anybody. But there was a widow in that city. So here is a judge, somebody with exceptional power, and here is a poor widow, somebody that has no power. And she came unto him, the one with no power, went to the one with lots of power, and said, avenge me of mine adversary. I'm just little old me. Got no money, got no power, got no stuff. Got nobody to protect me. You have power, you have money, you have clout, you have prestige, you have dominion. You have power, you're in charge. I have an enemy that's trying to destroy me. Protect me. I can't do what I need done, but you can do what needs done. So I'm coming to you that you do it for me. That you would do what I can't do. And he would not for a while. But afterwards, she said within herself. Afterward, he said within himself. Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me. Now we find something out. She didn't just come once. When he did not fix it, she got up the next day, and she got her shower, and she put her clothes on, and she went back to the judge. Isn't it disgusting that we have the acrylic cleaner sitting here, and I still haven't cleaned this thing? Uh, your Honor, dear sir, your majesty. I read recently this girl, she was in court, and uh, the judge asked her a question, and she got nervous, and she said, yes, your majesty. (laughs) 
It's me again. Here I am. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh judge. Standing in the need of prayer. He didn't do anything. So the next day she got up and she got dressed and she went back. Aren't you getting tired of it? Day after day after day, she keeps going back and making this same demand. Finally, the judge said, though I don't fear God nor regard man, because the widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge says? Hear what even a wicked person does? If you keep bringing it up, shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him? Though he bear long, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith? Jesus said, if you keep going to him and asking his will, his way, his time, if you keep going to him, he'll answer. But Jesus said, I've got a question for you. Will anybody even ask him? Will anybody even ask? You see, when we ask, God moves. But Jesus said, is anybody asking? We don't know the power that is available when we pray. It has been rightly said that prayer is as powerful as anything God can do. James 5 and 16. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. We've been talking about that a lot. We haven't talked about this part. The effectual, that means the ongoing the effectual, fervent, that means sincere, rightly motive, his way, his will, his time. The effectual, effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The Greek says, makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says when you keep on praying and you keep on praying, it makes tremendous power available, which is dynamic and it's working. Dynamic. Think about the dynamics of something. Dynamics, that's not broad. That's not general. That's when you get down into the, that means a dynamic prayer. It doesn't just hit it from the outside. It knows how to find a crack to get, it knows how to find a secret passageway. It, just like water. Water will find a way to get down through something, and your prayer is living water, and it'll find a crack in that thing that's against you, and it'll slip down until it gets to the heart of it, and it will drown the wickedness at its source. Fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. It says Elijah was just like us, a regular human being. And he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. The Bible says Elijah was just a, he was a man. 
And he prayed and saw tremendous power manifested. So the Bible says for you to do the same. Did you forget? Did you forget what he did? Did you forget about Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego? In the fiery furnace? Did you forget about Daniel and the lions did? Did you forget about Noah and the ark? Did you forget about the lepers? Did you forget about the blind man? Did you forget about the deaf? Did you forget about the dead boy? Did he touch the casket and he rose back to life? Did you forget? Did you forget that during a war, the people of God prayed and God stopped the earth spinning on its axis for the space of a day? Did you forget that he watered the whole land from a cloud the size of a man's head? Did you forget about Jonah in the belly of the great fish? Did you forget about Jesus walking on water? Did you forget that he fed 20,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread? Did you forget that your problems are not nearly as big as all these that I'm naming? Did you forget that he's omniscient, all-knowing? Did you forget that he's omnipresent, that he's everywhere? Did you forget that he's omnipotent, that he's all-powerful, that all power in heaven and earth belong to him? He asked Job, where were you? Job had questions. God said, oh, you got questions? I got questions. Where were you? Job asking me like I can't handle it. God said, where were you? Job, when I laid the foundations of the world, where were you? Where were you when little old me was breathing stars into existence and creating light? Where were you? Where were you when Jesus come busting up out of the ground on the third day? With the devil's head on the end of a sword, like Goliath and little David, parading it through the streets and made an open display of principalities and powers in high places and spiritual wickedness, made a public parade down the streets of Jerusalem just to say, I did it, I did it, I did it, I did it. Did you forget? Boy, you came on the right day, Janice. Did you forget how big he is? He's great. And because he's great, I'm so glad that he's good. Or we wouldn't be here at all. Did you forget how great he is? Did you forget how good he is? Did you forget that with all that great power, he also said, oh, how I've wished to gather you in like a hen gathers in her chicks. Did you forget that he said, come unto me, baby. All of you that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Did you forget that this great God is also a gentle God and a caring God? He's a fathering God, but he's a mothering God. 
bad to the bone, but good to the core? Did you forget how much he loves you? Did you forget that that great big God became a little bitty baby? How would how you do that? And grows up meek and lowly. There's not a one like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Did you forget that he's a lion and he's the lamb? Did you forget that he's our Savior and he's the king? Did you forget? The psalmist said in that 34th chapter, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut them off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is close to them of a broken heart. He saves them which have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. I don't think the problem is that God can't. I think the problem is that the church needs to wake up that the church needs to wake up to who he is and who we are in him. Romans 8 and 18. I reckon I can relate to this kind of talk. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which is about to be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature... That's a fancy way to say the earth itself is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. While you've been talking about it's all over, while you've been talking about it's done for the nation, while you've been talking about we're never going to get it back, the earth is crying out and saying, please don't say that. You're our only hope. The earth is saying, please, we've been looking to you, the children of God. We've been waiting for somebody to stand up and say the opposite. Please don't say what they're saying. Please don't agree with the world. Please don't agree with the government. Please don't agree with the devil. We've been looking to you. We know that you're the ones that's going to manifest the glory of God. The earth, the earth is looking at you, saying, please don't say that. Please say, we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We own this earth. He told our father Abraham everywhere that the sole of your foot touches belongs to you. So we're going to start putting our foot down. We're going to start putting that we can tread on scorpions and serpents and lions and adders. We are in charge. We are the ones that poison can't hurt us, that hell can't touch us, that death can't have us, that the enemy can't get to us. I'm putting my foot down for my life, my home, my 
my family and the United States of America and saying, it's not over. It's only beginning. I'm ushering in revival. If none of you will go with me, I'll go all by myself. God plus one is a majority. And if God be for us, who can be against us? All this talk about who's against us. All this talk about what they're doing, and we just have to bow down to it. No, I'm on God's side. They asked President Lincoln, President Lincoln, do you think God's on our side? He said, I'm not so much concerned of God being on our side, but what if we're on God's side? I already signed up for the winning team. I can't lose. I read the back of the book. We win. We win. I might as well manifest. The earth is waiting. Everything that's going on in our country and the people of God are complaining instead of praying. It's like we'd rather put up than get up. It's like we'd rather keep taking it and doing something about it. We'd rather have something to complain about than get on our knees and do something about it. Philippians 4 and 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't complain. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Hang with me. We've only got about an hour left. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. The Lord's at hand. He didn't leave us. He didn't forsake us. Lo, he is with us always, even to the end of the earth. The Lord is at hand. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that means get specific, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God says, I can keep you when it doesn't make sense. God says, I can keep you no matter who's in office. I can keep you no matter the interest rate. I can keep you no matter the market. I can keep you no matter the fuel. I can keep you no matter the shipping cost. I can keep you no matter what. He said, I've been running this thing before you all thought of how you wanted to run a government anyway. I've been here forever. He says, pray. Pray. The people of God have forgotten to pray. God will hear us. God's eyes are on us. God is looking at us, waiting for us to look at him. Hey, I'm just waiting on God. No, you're not. You're not doing too good a job. Say, oh, I'm just waiting on God. God says, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. You're not waiting on me. I'm, I've been looking at you the whole time, waiting for you to look up. You ever look at your kid? They're doing something they're not supposed to do, or better yet, your dog, and you're just standing there waiting for him to turn around, and then they turn. That's what Stan did the other day. I've always been doing something, turned to look at it, he went. God's waiting on you. God is looking at you. You don't have to convince God to look your way. God's been looking your way. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, 
which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That means I'm looking at you, look at me. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Remember, two angels coming down to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. I don't think it's over. I don't think this is the last hurrah. I just don't think it's done. If God would do this under the old covenant, how much more under the shed blood of Jesus will God avenge all the wrong and heal and restore and deliver? Isaiah said it like this in chapter 54. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. He promised you that the weapons would be formed against you and that they would not work. And every tongue, it's everybody that lies about you, every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, you'll condemn this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. It is my heritage. It is my legacy. You ask how I can fight through it all night long and keep standing, just tell them it's a family tradition. (laughs) I could really work with that for a little while. It is my family tradition to not be destroyed. It's just who I am, just my blood, generation after generation. It's just what we do to not get killed by the devil. That the enemy can't stop us. I'm not talking about an Edwards tradition. I'm talking about an Abrahamic tradition. I'm talking about the father of our faith. Father Abraham had many sons. I'm talking about the heritage of the servants of the Lord. That if we'll look to him and we'll pray, He's going to answer. Singers, musicians, would you come? Now, we're still going to pray for some folks. We're still going to get excited and cry and jerk and buck and shout. But on the back of your sermon note sheet, there is a prayer. And right now, we're going to pray it out loud together, corporately. You can pray out loud if you want. I'm going to pray it out loud. But this is my challenge to you, River Worship Center. I hope you'll take it seriously by the witness that you feel in this house today of the Holy Spirit. I want you to put that prayer where you will see it every morning. And together... Let's unite our voices. The Bible says that the prayer of agreement is when we harmonize together in prayer and make a symphony before the Lord. That's what it means to agree. Put that where you will see it, and let's begin to pray it every 
single day. In 30 days, let's see what God has done. And in 60, and in 90, and at the end of this year. Would you stand with me as I lead us in this prayer before we open the altars? You can join along audibly or silently, either way, but please, everyone, with your heart, please pray. Dear God, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can we lift our hands? You're the God of Moses, Elijah, and David. You are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you are my God. We come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus, on the basis of his sacrifice at the cross, the blood he shed in our place. We thank you for your grace and mercy, for the very life that you have given us. You are great, and you are good. We worship you for who you are, and we praise you for all you've done. You are the only God, the one true God, the God of wisdom, knowledge, power, and love. Your name is holy. Right now, I join my family in lifting my voice to you, asking for your grace and mercy, for your favor and wisdom, for your protection and direction. Together, we ask you to stir revival inside of us, in our hearts and minds. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to bring you glory, to lift up the name of Jesus in everything we do. Use us to bring a great awakening and a gospel revolution to this nation and to the world. Fill us individually and fill our church with the fire of the Holy Spirit that we would live for you and accomplish your will and purpose. Help us to be your church and to win the lost. We ask you for your miracle power to destroy the viruses, sicknesses, and diseases that are bringing chaos and disorder to this world. We know Jesus paid for this, and we bring it before you. Please remove and destroy all of the anti-Christ powers in our government. We command those powers to leave now in the name of Jesus. Bring down those in power who work against you and raise up and place in power those that will promote your way and will position our country for your blessing. We ask you for a miracle in the economy to stop this inflation and all that is afflicting the American family. We ask that you would bring a cease and desist to all of the product shortages, food shortages, fuel shortages, lumber shortages, housing market shortages, and all of the outrageous price increases in all of these areas and in shipping costs, we ask you to kill all of it at the root.
we know that you are our ultimate source of provision. Teach us how to walk in what you've paid for and to see it flowing in our lives. God, give us your wisdom in finances, in stewardship, and in daily living. God, please take over in our country and in our lives. Help us to move in step with you and to humble ourselves to walk according to your plan and kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a mighty hand clap and a shout. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.